0: I'm saying there is nothing sexier in the world. Nothing that will serve you better than confidence. I guarantee it.
1: Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests, or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organizations, and communities. Coffee Potters, we've got a Ripper guest in store today. And in fact, if you haven't had a coffee yet, you're not going to need one because the amount of energy that's going to come at you through this podcast is next level. And I tell you what, you're going to walk away inspired. One of my favorite things about this podcast, it is so pragmatic. It's refreshing And we just have someone who calls it like it is talking with us this week. Our guest is Mandy Renahan. Uh, Mandy is known as the Blue Collar CEO. She's an incredible Canadian who is entirely self-made. She left home, which was the tiny town of Yarmouth, Nova Scotia at 18, with just a dirty hockey bag and an audacious dream. A passion as well, I should add, for woodworking. And by 19, she'd founded Freshco which is now Canada's number one full-service reconstruction and retail maintenance provider, working for some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies, Nike, Apple, The Gap, you name it, and Mandy's worked for them or is working for them right now. At 24, she signed her first $5 million deal, and she's just gone up and up and up since then, Uh, She's won a range of awards, including the 2017 RBC Canadian Woman Entrepreneur Award. Uh, And she's also been named EY Entrepreneur of the Year. And I could go on and on, believe you me, the list, I don't know how big her trophy room must be. But really, one of the things I absolutely adore about her is how down to earth she is. She's 100% self-made and self-taught. She's got no formal post-secondary education, never taken a loan, never had a handout, she describes herself as a fun-loving adventurer and a rule-breaker, and I think you're going to love her wicked sense of humour too. Here's Mandy Renahan. Mandy Renahan, welcome to Coffee Pods. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Since I first watched a video about you uh, sent through uh, from a Canadian a friend of mine, Jan, the other week, I must say I, I fell in love with you and your spirit, and I'm blown away by the story of what you've achieved, and I'm really thrilled to have the opportunity to have a conversation with you today. The thing I wanted to kick off by asking is just getting a sense of how this all started. I'd love to get a sense of how your early years shaped the trajectory that you're on now. Tell us about growing up as a kid in Nova Scotia and where your passion for entrepreneurialism kicked off.
0: You know, Yarmouth was was really the town that, what I like to say, gave me the opportunity. Wonderful people growing up there. If anybody knows anything about East Coasters and small towns, I mean, they, they give you the shirt they didn't have. And so, you know, I really had that that grassroots attached to me. Um, I had, you know, my father was a lobster fisherman. My mom was a homemaker. And, uh, you know, there was four of us. You know, I didn't have a hope in hell of being uh, feminine. I had three brothers and very athletic family. Um, that's how people knew me, actually. But I always had this yearning for for wood in and, and construction for whatever reason. Um, there's there's none in, in the genetic bloodline in either one of my families. It was just something that I loved. And so, you know, from a very young age, I mean, we were a poor family when there was no fish, there was no food. And so, you know, watching your parents struggle and watching the, you know, the, the sure exhaustion of wondering, you know, where that next paycheck was going to come from really took its toll on me as a a, a youngster.
1: Absolutely imagine. Now, I've read that you've described yourself as being wired differently and having an awareness of that from a really young age. But I think, you know, it's one thing to say I knew I was wired differently. It's a whole other thing as young as you did to start stepping out towards your own business. I'm really interested to get a sense of how you started so young because I've read that it was as young as 10 where you were already on the side of a port selling bait as a fish broker. Uh, to buy tools. Can you give us a sense of how that journey into entrepreneurship began?
0: I just think that it was one of those things that, you know, when I used to, you know, be the little fish broker on the street and all the fishermen thought that it was all the guys on the street, little did they know that I was the broker. My my old man just about dropped dead when he saw me at the dock that day at 10 years old. But I think that what, what happened was is that I I saw it as a means that I used to take all my money from 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 being the fish broker and I used to buy tools. And, and then after, after school, I used to look at the guys and say, listen, if you want me to be your winner or play net for you, cause I was better at sports than most of them, you're going to show up at three o'clock or, or, or I'm out. And by the love of God, they used to show up. It was my first early stage into motivating people. And so we used to build log cabins in the woods, you know, and this was when I was very young and I, you know, cause there was just, I was fascinated with wood and I was fascinated with structure. So I knew that that's really where I wanted to go, but being self-taught and really not having the, you know, the ability to be able to go to school back then to be part of that. I knew that I needed to teach myself and I knew I would learn very quickly, probably, probably a lot more quickly than most.
1: That's one of the things that really strikes me about you is your approach to learning. I mean, you are self-made and self-taught in, in everything that you do. You touched on the fact that you didn't really grow up with those influences around you. How have you embraced that on your own career journey? How have you intentionally got the right people around you that you've needed in order to set yourself up for success and learn what you needed to learn?
0: Well, I think the idea is, is that when you don't have any choices, you've you got to kind of make your own. And, and, you know, a lot of times people will say to me, Mandy, you know, what, what's the best advice you ever got? And I'm like, well, I didn't get any, <laughs> you know, that was, that was the, one of the, one of the biggest thing is I spent most of my teens and my twenties, you know, in a, in a dark room, hoping the love of God, I bounced off of a wall and not a rigid corner. Mm. So right at that moment, I realized is that you become, you know, I was always very intuitive as a young person and very mature for my age. I had to be. Um, But I learned the act of persuasion very early on with who I needed and why. So I guess to kind of unpack that for you, Holly, is that a lot of times people are like, hey, you know, I got a great mentor. Well, you know, when you're looking to feed yourself and send your parents money um, to keep them afloat, you don't have time for all of the stuff that means nothing. You know, you need to take from all the different, you know, uh, I would say, appliers to the job and take what you need, and so that was what I did is I really, truly watched, listened, and acted very quickly, more so than you know what a lot of people have to do today, you know, and that's why i'm I've always been a big advocate for you know mentors sitting back and letting them sweat rather than giving them the recipe if that makes any sense
1: most definitely does, particularly given what you shared about your upbringing. I wanted to ask you about heading out into the world at 18 with just a hockey bag, as you describe it. At 19, you're starting this company. In your early 20s, you're getting your first multi-million dollar deals. And yet, as you say, you're a woman, you're a gay, and this is 23 years ago in the construction industry. You know, how difficult was that? Did Was that something that you... Ever saw as too big a barrier, or was that something that really, from the early days, from the, the very start, you were framing as a point of difference and an advantage for you? You know,
0: I, I think that you know, if I if I'm able to frame this, Holly, for you is that, you know, I never ever left home and into the big bad world. Looking at it is a big bad world. I looked at every every heartache is an opportunity to change, and so for me, it was one of those things that. I didn't, when I approached people, I was so humble and so grateful. And, and I came with a different game that, you know, a lot of times, you know, they didn't look at me as being a female or being gay for that matter, because all they really saw was me. And I think that the idea was, is that a lot of, a lot of people today, you know, they're not themselves, you know, and so they become uncomfortable and then people around them become uncomfortable and then all of a sudden you know you hear the word discrimination so a lot of even a lot of the young people and whether you're gay or you know whether you come from a different ethnic background what i try to teach them is is that you know for me i was never discriminated against because i just wouldn't have it you know and i never i never had to deal with it because i very much showed them the personality and the heart of who i was and that today everybody wants to cry discrimination, but I look and I'm like, you're just frigging awkward, man. You know, this is, (laughs) this is the issue. And I, and I, and I've baited a lot of them and said I've shown up and you haven't known who I am and I found you uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. when people become, uh, become uncomfortable, they move to the other side of the room because you have no commonality, no common ground to spark a conversation. And these are the soft skills, you know, for me that, you know, that I, you know, I just didn't leave home with them. I needed to really, really build on what I already had, which I can tell you to, mo- to most would be, Hey, maybe you really didn't have anything. I'm like, yeah, but I became a millionaire just by being me. So mm. how do you like them
1: lobsters? Right? Absolutely. I'm so struck by your confidence. It's a real X factor. And I'm interested because you mentioned that you knew from a young age, you were wired differently. But to your point, a lot of people, I think, struggle with difference uh, or being the one that stands out. I've read that you've said that people nowadays are missing the yearning that underpins confidence. I'm interested if you could explain that a little bit and maybe share anything you've done yourself that has helped build your own self-confidence.
0: Well, I, I think that a lot of it is about, you know, setting your eyes on a target and moving towards it. And I feel like right now we live in such a frenetic world that everybody is so worried about you know a lot of the biases and the stereotypes out, out there today i i see the underpinning of of every situation because i've had to i don't just move to the good stuff holly you know i've really truly had to see how did we get in this mess and i see how we have and i think the confidence for me is that i've got nothing to lose by being me every day, because it has served me well. And I think that that is probably a lot of the advice that I give to people is that they watch me speak or they come in here and they leave and they go, you know what, Mandy? I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. I'm going to go to trade school. And I'm like, you do that. They're like, because you know what, there's so many cool technologies and innovations. And like, I mean, it's, it's, it's groundbreaking. And I said, yeah, but I said, here's the thing. You've got to get past what other people think to find who you are. And I think that that's a confidence that if you look up confidence, it's a word that is just so removed from the world that we live in right now, Holly, I'm saying there is nothing sexier in the world, nothing that will serve you better than confidence. I guarantee it. We got to stop looking at the middle. You know, I've always looked after the edges and the middle will look after itself. And that's
1: what we're missing Holly right now, in my opinion. I love that comment about that. We've got to look after the edges. I think that's really on point. I want to talk about your culture at Freshco uh, because I think it's a real point of difference. But first, I want to go back to how the company grew because it went rapid fire. You started at 19, uh, 21 or something, you'd signed your first million dollar deal. By 24, you'd signed a four million dollar deal. Talk to us about the growth of the company and what, if anything, you wish you knew then that you know now.
0: Well, you know, I think that if there was anything in the world that I hadn't known back then, was just be kind to yourself. You know, I, I really used to come down on myself because I knew I was different. And I used to say, you know, my sense of urgency was that of no one else around me. And so when I learned how to, you know, control that, you know, I was able to just grow more with ease because, you know, when you start to scale a company like I did, all of a sudden, you know, you're the apple of everybody's eye. Like everybody wants Mandy. And I'm like, well, shit. What am I going to do? Like, I can't give everybody. So now I got to make little Mandy's. So it was for me digging deeper and realizing that, you know, there can't be two bears in the bed like me. That doesn't, obvi- you know, always make for the best. You know, I really, truly needed to look and say, I need different personalities. I need people that 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 are their their own selves, their own blueprint. And so that's when I started looking at different tools to put in my toolbox. And what I realized is very early on that that diversification was really, you know, who I was from a very young age, because I didn't care who you were, what you were. If you had enthusiasm, ambition, and you absolutely had some form of a personality, even if it was a drier than a popcorn fart, I didn't care. You know, I wanted you part of my team because I would train you. And, and that's what we did is we started bringing in, I guess, Holly, I don't know if you guys call them over there in Aussie, but we call them misfits, you know, people that really were like, "Me, I don't even know, I don't know where to go. I don't know where I fit. And I'm like, then you're perfect for here. <laughs> I love that. And so what we did is we just took all these different building materials, you know, and we made something that, that, that would make the empire state building look like it, you know, it hadn't even been built. You know, we're really taking different fabric, you know, different types of plywood, woods, concrete. And we're just, we just took all of those different types of personalities and people. And we we really glued them together into something that, that absolutely is unshakable. And so for me, it was, it took a lot more time, Holly, to do that. You know, everybody else takes the easy route of show me your resume. I, I absolutely could have cared less to, about their 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 job resume when they walked into my office their eyes and their energy told me everything i needed to know passion
1: for people is palpable and i know it's something you're an enormously uh, proud and vocal advocate for because there's a forecast job shortage of a uh, million skilled people in your industry by 2020 in canada which kind of runs in contrast with this whole automation and technology focus that Uh, industries have got at the moment. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: I've always bought in, invested in technology and a lot of it, but I've always been very, very mindful of the human part of my business. And so that's why right now I'm saying to everybody, you know, the the 1 million person shortage, Holly, in Canada really, truly is not even close to accurate. We were a million people short five years ago. And you ask me, Mandy, how can you say that with great clarity and, and confidence? Because I've been living it. I turn away business every day because I don't have the people to bring into my fortress. And, you know, as somebody who's self-made, it's excruciating. And so this is why I've made it my mandate to redefine the the color blue and, and to change the answer to what you want to be when you grow up, knowing that this is one of the most prideful, creative Sexy, rewarding industries that you can get into right now, and you can live the best of both worlds. Because I know that if I can't, if I don't fix that, I'm not fixing the real root issue
1: behind why we've had the
0: shortage to begin with.
1: I feel so grateful to know that someone like you is leading the charge on this issue. I couldn't agree more with you about the importance of it. And I think. Not only through the example you're setting with Freshco, but also the advocacy work you're doing internationally. You're such a force for good on this topic. I want to ask one more question about the building the company, if I can. How difficult was it going from a doer to a CEO? It was excruciating. I mean, it's it really like all of a
0: sudden, you know, you're going from, uh, you know, picking apples off of a tree to flying spaceships. Like, I mean, that's really, truly the shift that happens that you, you're not prepared for it. And people always say, well, you know, a type of personality like yours maybe must be a control freak. And I'm like, listen, if you run a, a business, you have to be some form of a con- control freak. And the idea is, is that how do you relinquish that control to really build the people under you to be the best that they can be? And I, and I think that that shift was probably the hardest for me is to let go and believe in the bare potential and the talent that I was choosing. But I can tell you that I would never change how I did it for the simple fact that I think that people really, truly micromanage too long. And if you're micromanaging people, they're not the right people. And that was the thing that I found very early on is that giving people autonomy, you know, when you have to come out from being the doer, is you figure out very quickly, you know what, if their part, Of that tower of patching, you know, that you're building. And so for me, I got to tell you, there were, for me, the hardest
1: part was just letting go. The things that struck me researching Freshco is that you have values around listening and fungex. I don't think you'd find them as values of another company in your industry, let alone in the world. Oh, absolutely.
0: So I, I think that, you know, a lot of times if you, you know, over home or in Canada, we call it, instead of being a talker, you're a yearner. And I think that people are like, oh, you know what? This person loves to have a conversation. And 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 you know, we have people in here that love to have conversations, but I I very early on, you know, taught them that everything that I know today was based on sitting back and listening when they didn't know that I was listening. And so they would like, they're like, Mandy, unpack that for me. I said, Well, my type of personality, you know, I'm talking, I'm aggravating and teasing you, but I'm listening to everything you're saying. Everything you're doing, your body language, so that I really know how to represent you in any type of relationship that we're going to have, and then the whole part behind funjacks is that you know what I've always had you know the ideology, holly, that I don't understand, and listen, you might get mad at me for saying this on your show, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I don't know if you read the book because I don't know if it's floating around North America somewhere and I've never read it, but why does? business need to be so damn missionary and boring, you know? <laughs> and so people become complacent, you know, they become complacent and they're bored out of their minds because we've set up this man-made structure of do as I say, and you'll get paid instead of, you know, allowing them to let their personalities shine through with respect. You know, I say it all the time, I'm like, I'm the most respectfully uncensored bear you'll ever meet in your life because there's not a bone in my body that would ever be disrespectful to anybody. And so with the fun check thing, it's always been like, Hey, I want people to see that you can have fun and you can do and say what you want respectfully and still make a ton of money and make a difference in this world. And it's funny. It resonates with people at a higher level because I'm like, I don't know about you Holly, but I still have never found the book online. I've never seen it is why is it this way? You know, because it's not serving the human race. I want people to come to work every day and it not be work. This is their life. One life. It's not work and my personal life because it becomes complicated for them. You know, they're shutting off their work world and going home to their personal world. And all of a sudden that takes a whole other list of energy and skills. And so th- so that that's where I've come up with my good listening and, and I firmly believe that everybody that walks in here that walks home at night, their personal lives become better. I just teach people to be thankful because I'm thankful every day to be here and to have the clients I have, to have the people I have. And, and so, yeah, my website and, and our culture here might seem a little bit unconventional to, to people, but I can guarantee you what we're happy. And I don't know what else to say, but we're happy.
1: I love unconventional. I wanted to touch on diversity and inclusion with you uh, because I feel like it's a conversation we're having, certainly in Australian business. Uh, in my experience in North America, you're having it too, uh, where we're talking about you know the need for more diversity uh, at our leadership tables, in our staff. And yet it's often uh, met with the challenge of, oh, we didn't have the candidates though. There wasn't the, the talent available, be that talking about gender or people of a particular ethnic background, you name it. I think... What's really interesting about your story with Fresco is how unbelievably diverse your staff are, notably 60% of your staff are female in an otherwise male-dominated industry. And I wanted to ask you, has that always been the case? And what's your journey been like on diversity and inclusion?
0: So when I first started in, in, my, in, in the industry, I'd say I probably had, you know, 30, I would say probably what 70% of my staff were men, 30% women. And then I taught my my guys how to really open up, you know, a woman to feel the trust. And so they did. And so then all of a sudden, one woman after another started coming through my doors and all of my guys treated them like one of the guys, one of the girls. It didn't matter who you were or what you were. And then all of a sudden you could see she became comfortable. Once she became comfortable, then she started asking questions. When she started asking questions, forget about it. The confidence came. And when that confidence came, then we would bring in another female. I guess the ideology behind my thinking, Holly, has always been about the fact that women come with two pages of skill sets that are off the charts, but they never get to the second page because they stop because of fear. And so with men, they've just always been told how amazing they are. Well, now they're being told they're not really that amazing. So you can see that there's, there's a little bit of a, you know, a, a push and pull happening. And for me, what I'm after is that I support feminism, Holly. But I will tell you this, the collaboration of men and women is what I'm after, is because I need both sets of those skill sets to make what we need to have happen in the progression of humanity to bring back that civility for me to really dig down into the soul of people and make them see that who they are, no matter what they are, is the best that life offers, you know, and to to stop the social biases behind all of this, because the diversity card's been been brought to the table because this is a real issue and it needs to be about who you are And, and are you the right person for the job? But until we have more leaders in place, that know who to pick, that's where we're running into the issue.
1: Absolutely agree with you. And I love that point around the collaboration that's key and also trust, you know, that importance of making sure people can bring the best of themselves. I wanted to ask you about the cult of entrepreneurship, because I feel like we're in this time where everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and they all think they're going to make a million dollars overnight. I want to ask from your own experience how difficult is it to make it as an entrepreneur? And what questions do you need to ask of yourself before you head down that path?
0: You know, the first thing is you got to look in the mirror and you got to say, am I able to take a pounding on the outside and on the inside? Because I can tell you, it can be a very thankless road because not everybody makes it. You you and I both know that at times it's the worst pay and the worst hours, you know, but they've made it look like you know, a very rewarding career. And it is for the people that were meant to be that. And so very early on, you're able to see, you know, are you a person that has the resiliency in your body to make it? Because it's something that I look and I hear people saying, oh my God, you know, you hear parents, people saying, oh, you know, you should be an entrepreneur. That's where it's at. Having your own business where it's is where it's at. Yeah, well, call me and let me know how you feel that when, when, when you have no money in your bank account and people are calling you because you're, you know, because your accounts are 30 days past due, your customers are not paying you. You know, th- you know, these are the things that, Holly, that makes me real is that I look at everybody and I say, it's a rewarding path if you're ready to go down it and you might fail the first time. You might even fail the second time. But when you make it the third time, you're going to look back and go, there's, there's nothing that could have shaped my character and what I am better. You know, and I've often said the true character of a human being is recognized when you give them power. And so with that, as an entrepreneur, you know, when you make it, you have the power to make more decisions over people's lives to make them better. And I think that that's where I look at people out there and I say, hold on a second, be very careful. And so for me, I say, go and and find somebody in your life that's made it, you know, in business. And you know what? Spend a day with them. Have a phone conversation with them. You know, really do your homework because I really, truly, a lot of times people don't dig deep, deep enough into the fact that Holly, when it comes to teams, there can only be one captain on the ice, but everybody else on the ice is just as important as he or she is. And I think, that people think that unless they, they you know th- that they're they they are that boss, they are that owner, that they truly are not meeting up to society's I would say expectations of what they should be, and I'm saying that that's completely false. If I didn't have my strategist, my publicist, my COOs, my directors, my I mean these guys carry stuff that even today, Holly, I can't even tell you if I could even do it. You know, and so this is where I say that people really need to sit back and do what we talked about before and really listen because it really truly is a road that's not meant for everybody. It's not. And people that do succeed and that are self-made truly are wired different, Holly, most times. Like I know that you're wired differently. That's why you and I are gonna have alcoholic beverages one of these days, (laughs) is that you just know when you see one. You know, you know that we're different and that, you know what, we're never going to be satisfied until we truly carry out change because that's what we were put on the earth to do. And, and that people like you and I need people standing beside us, on top of us, below us, that even that have a lot of skills that we don't have and that they are recognized as, to be just as much of a powerhouse as we are. The only difference between us and them is that, you know what, we're just the flip switch. And so so that's really something that, you know, I've always tried to drive home is for people to not fall under, you know, that, you know, that stereotype and that 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 bias of, you know what, in order for you to be something, you've got to be the CEO. And that's just totally not true.
1: What a brilliant answer. Can I ask you about uh, the, the comment you made around taking a pounding? Uh, how have you taken care of yourself over your own entrepreneurial journey so that you're capable of giving the energy required to everyone who needs it from you?
0: Well, I can tell you this. It's it's funny because, you know, I've always had a bigger stature. You know what? I'm, I am probably even probably call myself chubby a little bit. But, you know, it's funny is that, you know, every time I go home, I look at my mother and she always gets mad at me. She says, Mandy, what are you looking at? I said, mom, I keep waiting for you to give birth, uh, you know, to my metabolism. <laughs> That's gold. And she just laughs. You know, I, I, I can tell you that I've always had a big energy field. But what I have realized is that the more people um, that are looking to to not lean on me, but to come to me and, and, and to give them, you know, just a starter kit on where they should go and how they should get there, you realize as a human being that you can become exhausted very easily because, you know, you only have so much energy to give. I do meditate um, and, and, it's, and it's a way because I said, listen, you got to show me scientifically that this works. And I had a very wonderful man look at me and says, if that's what you need, I'll give you the proof that it does work. And so I really, truly, if I don't go to the gym, Holly, I'm not, I, I'm really not working um, on all, all the cylinders that I have because I really don't even know how many I have. I just know it's a lot. <laughs> and, and people commend me a lot of times on my energy. And I look at them and and I really, truly look after my mind and my body. You know, I make sure that if I'm going to go do a talk or I'm going to do whatever, I mean, there's going to be three or 400 bear hugs. There's going to be this and that. I mean, but it's, it's like being an athlete, but being an athlete of change, you know? And so it's, it's something that what I can tell people is, is that in, in a lot of it too, is I find with women is they're so busy worrying about everybody else thinking that they're going to let them down is what I've realized is, is that the more I've given to myself, whether it's a, a, an expensive bottle of wine or scotch or going to the spa and just shutting off my phone for three or four hours, it makes me better. It makes me quicker. And I'm able to hit more people more quickly than I was when I was worrying about everybody else. I still can worry about them, but I'm able, I've definitely built myself into what I would call this, this really great little fortress of knowing how to protect myself uh, from the naysayers, Holly, you know, the naysayers, the people that it doesn't matter what you do, it will never be enough. And those are the people that I'll never give up on because I know more than anything, they're the ones that are living in this fear you know, that's hurting our progression. And so the more I give to myself, the more I'm able to have the energy to deal with the people that really, truly can make a difference in this world under a you or a me.
1: I love that phrase you just shared about being an athlete of change. I'm going to run with that. I wanted to ask you about philanthropy because you strike me as someone who likes to have impact in everything you do. How have you brought that approach to the way that you give back?
0: Well, I think that you know when you look at the actual size of of my company, you know I'm not a small company, but I'm not an extra large company either. And so, you know, for me, it's like everything else in my life, I've always done things for the right reasons. And when it came to philanthropy, you know, for me, you know, even when we started really, you know, subsidizing, you know, um, bringing women and young people and single moms into the trade industry. It's funny, you know, when I started meeting with all the schools, I looked and I said, so you guys have, you know, great curriculums, you're set up, I approve of them, great schools. And I said, but why do they not make it? Why do a lot of them don't, why don't don't they make it? And she says, well, maybe, you know, a lot of them can't even afford a bus pass. And I'm like, well, that's an issue. So I said, why am I going to be giving out scholarships? I said, when you guys can do that, when I said, I need to subsidize their, you know, their living." expenses. And so, you know, all of the academics looked over at me and they were like, well, that's a brilliant idea. And I said, see what happens when we actually talk and
1: collaborate together
0: and amazing listen, things happen.
1: Listen as well right to your earlier point. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, cause I looked at them and I said, but why, and, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, when, when you've never been handed anything and, and you've never had, you know, a, a net to fall back in, you've always got to have plan A, plan B and plan C. Ready, ready for for you to pull each trigger, and I think that that was where all of a sudden I looked and I went. So we're not going to give out scholarships. You know what? We're going to subsidize the people that get these scholarships in these programs. You know, so that they don't have to worry about where their next meal or how they're going to get there. So that's just one one angle of it. And 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 so for me, I've always looked and said, I'm in a position now, Holly, to be able to give. But then I look and I'm like, there are a lot of people giving to certain organizations that what I'm going to give is going to be a drop in the bucket. You know, I want to find, it's kind of like I told you, if I look after the edges, the middle will look after itself. And so I've always gone out and looked at what are my strengths? What are my people's strengths? What do we have to offer to really make a difference in an area that nobody even thinks about? And so so my whole ideology behind philanthropy has always been, do what makes sense. Don't do what you think that everybody thinks that all of a sudden it's an act of tokenism that you're stroking a box and you're giving. For me, philanthropy is about really, truly looking and identifying where the issues and then empowering those people to, to make decisions, to empower more people to inflict change.
1: Love that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a comment you made earlier, you know, picking up the phone and calling people, knocking on the doors of people who've gone and done it before. What's the big take out from the lessons that you've learned from your own experiences of doing that during the course of your career that's been really significant in your thinking about what matters most uh, in the way that you lead? You
0: know, I, I think that it's been I was telling the truth. You know, I, I know, I know that might seem, you know, a, a little bit subjective, but You know, in my career, I always very much, and I even say this to clients every day, I can't promise you that we're going to be perfect, even though God knows I'd love to. I can't. When you're dealing with humans and technology today, nothing's going to be perfect. But we're going to tell you very quickly when something has gone sideways and we're going to fix it. And that's what I can promise you. I think that the truth behind, you know, running an organization Is something that today, Holly, I see that people are so used to there being circles wheeled around them. And and I go back to it and I and I hope you're not going to get mad at me because swearing is one of those things that just happens, but people are tired of the bullshit. They're tired of trying to guess on what's the truth and what's not. And so that transparency piece has really been what propelled Fresco, other than its work ethic and its culture to another level you know of of people that look and say god i just love it that you guys tell me the truth and you know you you're probably sitting there going but it's it's just so simple but it's not because like i said i'll go back to that word fear people fear today so much of being challenged or having a confrontation which i can tell you confrontation is the most necessary thing that needs to happen to every human being out there today for us all to see progress, but they fear it so much that the truth gets hidden. And so because of that, kind of like what we talked about being an entrepreneur is that it's, it's not all what it's cracked
1: up to be. If you're not ready for that pounding. Absolutely. I think that's been a really consistent theme of what you shared. And to that end, I really want to thank you, Mandy, for the time that you've given uh, today And for the generosity with which you've shared, I've found this conversation so refreshing. I love the way that you communicate. I love how honest and real and tangible it is. And I have no doubt that our listeners are going to take so much from the conversation. So thank you. Uh, A final question that I had for you. If you were to leave the people listening with a call to action, what would you like to encourage them to do?
0: My call to action would be everybody out there is tired of listening to the talking. They're tired of listening to promises. They're tired of listening and seeing nothing happen. And my call to action to them is, is that together, you know what, we're a rope that can never be snapped and that we need to join together and really, really, truly support one another in being more candid and respectfully uncensored and really, truly opening up the truth of life. And 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 with that, we're really going to see things start to happen, just like I I do every day. Because humans today, they we they can make it or break what's been broken, but we have to do it together. And so, my call to action to them is: stop listening, start asking, and let's just start doing it
1: like today. What a great note to end on, Mandy Renahan. Thank you so much for being so damn awesome not only with what you do at Freshco, but with uh, the really different and unique and important voice that you're providing uh, in Canada and to the world. Thanks,
0: sweetie. You know what? Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'm glad I was your Starbucks.
1: (laughs) The best Starbucks I've ever had, might I add. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Mandy. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholy.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me. (laughs) for <laughs>